In a culture polarized by race, where conversations about race, justice, and unity often lead to division, strife, and blame, terms like woke, white fragility, or whiteness have no place within the body of Christ and only cause more hurt and division. Our goal is to bring practical tools to pastors and lay people to walk out the ideals of racial unity and justice according to a historically Christian worldview. So come along, join us in the work we are doing at the Center for Biblical Unity. You are a part of the family. Welcome to The Fallen State. I am Jesse Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Remember that The Fallen State is now on Locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. And I do appreciate it. Um, You can also support The Fallen State by becoming a channel member on the YouTube channel there. Some of you have done it already. Thank you so much in advance. I have with me Monique Dusan. She is the president and founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. Monique, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's amazing. I saw a couple of your videos, very interesting. And so I do want to cover some of those things as well. But a little bit about you. What is the purpose of the Central, Central Center for Biblical Unity? The Center for Biblical Unity is established to have sane biblical conversations about race, justice, and unity. Um, I believe that the church has a specific role and way in which we participate with one another, and that is not through the lens of the critical social theories, but that scripture gives us our instructions for how we participate with one another. And so when it comes to things like race, justice, and unity, we can have those conversations and we can do it from a specifically biblical position, a historically orthodox position. And so that's what we do. We I'm the co-founder, actually. My ministry partner is Krista Bontrager. And together we produce resources, content. We do trainings and plenary talks around the country just about what does it mean to do race, justice, and unity from a historically biblical position. Right. Are you, are you, so you're a Christian? I am. And are you, are you considered to be a pastor or something or? No, no, I'm not. I, um, the Center for Biblical Unity is a parachurch ministry. And so we come alongside different ministries, schools, churches to support them in their conversations of race, justice, and unity. But we strongly believe that a lot of this conversation should be happening um, from the leadership level of churches to be able to disciple their people in the ways that they should go. But I'm not a pastor now. Nice. Um, What's important to you? To me, what's important is really what's mentioned in Jude, where it says to defend the faith once for all given to the saints. And so as I notice the critical social theories creeping into the church and offering what we at the Center for Biblical Unity would consider uh, um more of a like a gospel alternative or a competitor to the gospel. We want to make sure that Christians are equipped to defend the faith once for all given to the saints and to be able to walk together in unity. And so that's that's what's important to me is, you know, how do we as believers do this well so that we can shine our light into culture? I'm not so interested in bringing culture up into the church. Yeah, amazing. Um, how does one defend the faith? Well, we first of all have to understand what our faith is. What do the scriptures say about our faith specifically? That means we need to read the word of God in context. What does it mean to to be a Christian? What does it mean to to follow after um, the ways of, of Jesus Christ? 
And I think we find we find that first in, in the New Testament by understanding the life of Jesus. But then we can also do that by going back to God's eternal moral laws in the Old Testament for things like justice and righteousness. What does love look like? These are Old Testament concepts or principles that we see reiterated in the New Testament. But we first must understand the word of God in context to be able to un- even understand our faith. I noticed that uh, white people are willing to have open and honest discussion about these things. And the blacks say that they want to have it too, but they want a one-sided discussion. They want the whites to have to agree with them about what is wrong rather than a back and forth to get an understanding how each other think about things. Well, I believe what you're hitting on is... um what I would consider in regards to race and unity, two different approaches. So there's a racial reconciliation approach where you do find many minorities saying in order for us to have unity, you know, white people need to do X, Y, and Z. There there needs to be a lamenting of whiteness, a repenting of privilege, all of these different things that have to happen. You need to read all of these books. And then when you've done enough, we can come to the table and have some kind of conversation or reconciliation. Model two says that there is biblical unity that is... um that, that comes to believers through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, what I find is that there are both Blacks and whites on both sides of the conversation. I believe that this is more, um, more of a conversation of ideology of, of, which way do you see as being the way forward? I personally believe in the biblical unity approach. However, I do agree that I, w- I would say like in public and on social media and things like that, you, what you do see is this rise of Black voices, like the lift Black voices, if you want to get to racial reconciliation. And so that can lead people to think like, oh, there's no Black voices on the biblical unity side. But I am one and I know others who are also on the biblical unity side where we we don't believe that in order for us to get to unity, you know, whites have to do all of this work and blacks don't have to do anything. Yeah. But I also know whites who are on the other side that would say, well, you know, because of slavery, whites need to do all of these things and blacks don't need to do anything. We don't see that when we read things like Ephesians 4, what we see is that all of the work is for all of the people. This is how we walk in unity together. You were a social justice warrior at one time. Mm-hmm. What is a social justice warrior? Exactly what is it? So I think that many people would define like a social justice warrior through different different ways. You know, some people would say a social justice warrior is someone who goes out and riots and protests and makes sure that they are um you know, standing on on the, the the edge to make sure that black voices are heard. Um, then there are people who say, "Well, I'm gonna um, war or fight for social justice through policy making or through um, you know hands on initiatives." I did more of like hands on initiatives, so I was working inside of so- social work. Um, to be able to help children out of poverty. So I've done things like program management and working with homeless um, individuals. I have, you know, helped to create internships for Black youth so that they did not have to travel down the same path as their incarcerated parents. It was more of the hands-on approach rather than the let me go out, riot and burn, you know, our city down and things like that kind of approach. I lived in South Africa for a short stint of time doing mission work there, but doing it from the position of let me help lift these, you know, black and colored children out of poverty through educational um, resources, through, um, you know, mental health services and things like that. But the goal, which I think is more important than the actual work itself, not to say that the work isn't important, but we must understand that the goal of these things is revolution and emancipation. And so as as long as you are con- continually working for the revolution and emancipation of the oppressed people, you you can be in either one of these sides. And so when you were a social justice warrior, were you a Christian at the time? I was. You were a Christian and a social justice warrior? 
it might be in conflict. Yes. But I did have faith in Jesus. Um, I, you know, I love the Lord. I knew some Bible verses, maybe (laughs) not in context, but I did know some. Um, And I thought that everything I was doing was for Jesus. So when I say that I I knew the word, maybe not in context, I knew Micah 6, 8. I knew Jeremiah 29, 11. I knew, um, you know, certain passages in Luke that talked about helping the poor and the oppressed and things like that. Um, Micah 6, 8 being the, the Bible verse where you should do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And so I knew, you know, some verses, but if we look at Micah 6, 8, for example, as the justice verse, I had no clue or context as to what Micah 1 talked about or Micah 2 talked about. And so I had my specific verses that I used to justify um, social justice, but it never clicked. It didn't click for me that a lot of my social justice thoughts also bent toward things like LGBTQ plus ideology or, you know, being um, pro-abortion or things like that. And so, though, but those things are completely incongruent with the scriptures. Yeah. So, yes, I, I definitely affirmed the Christian faith as a social justice warrior. I don't um, believe that I understood. And you so... Know, and so what uh, when you were doing that kind of work as a social justice warrior, both in America and Africa, what did it help? Was it did it work? Were people help? Did they overcome their issues? I think that some people were helped. I think that some people were, um, you know, able to lift themselves out of, you know, the degree of poverty that they may have started in and go up, you know, up a notch. But we have to remember that when we look at social justice, the social justice reform that people are looking for is not necessarily individual, but systemic. And so while I can applaud an individual who is coming out of poverty or, you know, who is making their way up that ladder, the the goal is reform of the entire system and emancipation for all people, not just necessarily one. And so while I can, like in South Africa, I could see schools on a trajectory to do more systemic work um, regarding their students to um, reinvestigate or reevaluate how they're doing um how they're doing like testing, standardized testing and things like that, and would say, yes, that is a, a, a step in the right direction at that time. Um, now I see it quite differently. But yeah. the goal is, again, it's not necessarily just the the emancipation of the individual. While that's great, the goal is the revolution and the emancipation of the system. What uh, What made you decide not to be a social justice warrior anymore? the Lord. (laughs) Um, I got into conversation after I moved home in 2018, I started having conversations with a friend of mine who's now my ministry partner, but we had conversations about everything related to race, justice, the welfare system, um, racial reconciliation, social justice. And she held different a different view than I did. Now she's white and I kind of just chucked that up to racism overall. But as I began to, as well as we together began to have Bible studies and as I began to pray and as I began to read books of the Bible, not just verses of the Bible, Bible, I began to see that I was wrong, that, you know, the Bible doesn't uphold abortion, that LGBTQ plus ideology is not, you know, in line with the scriptures or the scriptural narrative. Um, and so as I began to notice that, okay, I'm I'm off here or, you know, that doesn't actually align on the other side of that, I was also working as a program manager at a food pantry and I had an intern and she would come to school or she would come to work and then tell me about the things that were happening at her university in regards to black and white issues. And so white students were told that they couldn't talk in class. White students weren't graded the same. White students, you know, were being picked on by other classmates and by professors for being white and told to renounce their white privilege and all of this. And so I just started to really grapple with what I was seeing, what I was hearing, what I was reading in the word of God. And eventually I 
understood that this is not the way, like that the scriptures actually do offer us a better hope for unity than what critical race theory will offer us. Nice. What, what, um, what's wrong with the Blacks? Gosh, it's I I'm hesitant to say that it is just blacks. Um, I honestly believe that what we're seeing is an ideology war between and not politically, you know, politically conservative and politically liberal. I think that there's just an idea, an ideological war that's that we're right in the middle of regarding things like Marxism and the critical social theories and all of that and a more liberal view of things like objectivity or um, like evidence-based things, you know, like, and when we think about racism, is racism completely systemic? And there's this objective or this idea of the the bourgeoisie or the proletariat now on a more cultural narrative, or is it things like classical liberalism, where we need to look for evidence where there's objectivity, where, um, you know, people can, you know, shift throughout different class structures or, you know, I can go from being in poverty to being middle class to being, you know, wealthy within a generation or two. What I've noticed, though, is that and not all, not all, not all, not all, but most of the blacks have gotten worse. They are angry. They are mean. They're blaming white folks for everything, no matter what white people do for them. It's just not enough. They mm-hmm. are violent. They are committing crime for to be the few numbers, 12 percent of American citizens, I guess. They mm-hmm. commit most of the violent crime. Yes. They believe that white people are superior to them, so they call them white supremacy. And it wasn't like that when I was growing up at all. Nothing like mm-hmm. that. And I grew up under Jim Crow and all that. And it wasn't anything like that. But the blacks have gotten worse and nobody like them now. No one want to be around them because they're afraid of them. What's wrong with them? Why are they getting because we have done everything we can do for them. Right. Back in during the so-called civil rights movement, they wanted to uh, have eat, eat in the white cafes and white people said, OK, come on in. And then they want to live in the neighborhood. Then they wanted to go to the schools. Then they wanted to live in the communities of the white people. And then they wanted to marry the white woman. It, it just, and the white people would give them everything. Then they wanted the white woman. And so white people were giving them everything, but they have gotten worse instead of getting better. How can the blacks be helped to overcome this fallen state? Yeah, okay. So I think that actually when when we say like, well, blacks wanted all of these things, I think that it, more so than Blacks just wanting something, there was a shift into a biblical a biblical perspective. You know, when we look in scripture and scientifically, there's no difference between Black and white on like a DNA level. The The idea of skin color is really just a micro adaptation. It, it, it's, it's, it's something that is inconsequential when we consider the human race overall, there's truly only one human race. And so to think of equality, to think that, you know, if a white person should be, is allowed to vote, well, why couldn't a black person vote? To think that, you know, marriage equality would be something that would need to be shifted under the law, I don't actually think is wrong to fight for because there is truly only one human race. And so when we think of the idea of like the civil rights movement or the civil rights era when people were fighting for what I would consider equality under the law. To me, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I I think that there needed to be shift where we can say, yes, as a black person, there's no difference between me and the white person that I'm sitting next to. Now, as far as the civil rights movement was a good thing for the blacks or a bad thing. I think that it comes, there are points where I can say, yes, that this part of the civil rights movement was good. But then there are parts where I can say, you know, this part of the civil rights movement didn't work out so well for us. Um, The civil rights movement was a socialist movement. It was never meant to set the blacks free. It was never meant to unite the races, but to divide them 
in order to become the leader of the blacks by selling them over to the Democratic Party. And so I've noticed that since the civil, ever since it happened, the blacks got worse instead of getting better. I do believe that much of the civil rights movement was socialist. I do believe that there were specific movements and and pieces within the civil rights movement that were not helpful. Some parts of of desegregation were not helpful to Black communities. I don't, though, believe that the entire entity of the civil rights movement was all 100% negative. Can you Um, name one thing that was good that came from the civil rights movement? One thing. Well, I think desegregation was a good thing. I think Why? to a degree, to a degree, desegregation was a good thing. The the idea that if I want to shop at this store, that I can legally be seen as someone who can shop at the store or the desegregation of the military that we I can if I chose to serve I, that I can serve, you know, next to someone else. But I am. I'm very torn on it, honestly. Like, I think that, I think you're right in the idea that a lot of it was a negative, a negative, but I do think that there were some, there were some movements and pieces of the, the civil rights movement that actually were helpful. When I think of people in churches, because the way that I see the, the civil rights movement, and I could be speaking under correction, but the way that I see it is that as laws changed, it also opened up a change of heart for different individuals to be able to reconsider how have I been living my life in a way that may not be in alignment with God's moral law. Let's, so, deal, with, let's deal with the two things that you mentioned, the uh, uh, desegregation thing. When prior to the civil rights movement, the fact that, and I remember for colors only signs and those things when I was a kid. And, but during that time, the black didn't care about that. Or if we couldn't go to a certain store, the black didn't care because they knew that as an, if you started your own business, you have a right to have who you want there or not have. It didn't mean that you were wrong for doing that. And so it was like, I remember when we were growing up, my grandparents used to tell me all the time, if somebody don't want you at their house, they have a right not to want you there. Don't get mad at them. They have the right. And so, and instead of trying to make the white man do what they wanted to do, they understood, and then people came together naturally because you can't force anyone to love you, right? And so white people who had good hearts and black people who had good hearts, they worked together fine, but the blacks and the white who were angry, they did not work together. Uh, and as far as the military... The uh, Tuskegee Airmen came about because they couldn't get in the military, so they mm-hmm. created their own thing, and they became amazing. They became really good at what they were doing because they couldn't just, they weren't, stuff wasn't handed to them. And, and so all those things should not have happened because America would have come together naturally. People who had good hearts and those who didn't, it would have worked out. We didn't need the Civil Rights Movement. It was just a misuse of black people. I think that's something to consider when I think of things like, you know, who can marry whom and the fight for that, Um, you know, who can legally sit next to each other and and things like that. I'm more convinced, me personally, that being able to, under the law, see each other as equal was not a completely bad thing. But I do I do agree that not all desegregation worked out for us or worked out for Black people. I think that when you look at the the errors of Martin Luther King, it didn't it didn't work out well for all Black people. But I do think that there are some things I can't say that the entire movement was 100 percent bad, but that's just me. Right. And, you know, and and how I see it, I do think that, like, as like I said, that as laws changed, it also gave opportunity for people to reconsider the motives of their heart, especially believers, believers who may have, you know, at one time been a part of all white congregations or congregations that were against civil rights movements because of true racism within their congregation, not because of, you know, hey, this isn't our place to speak into this, but truly because of racism in their hearts, I think gave people the opportunity to say, you know, 
hey, if the if the laws are changing, you know, maybe there should be a, a renegotiation or a shift in my heart. But yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard that before, too, about the churches. But when they had segregated churches, no one thought of them as segregated churches. Right. Normally, birds of the feather flock together. Black people mm-hmm. like being with black people. White people like being with white people. It was just comfortable. It was easy. And it wasn't about racism. And I remember when uh, the civil rights movement first started and when it started, period, the older blacks were not for it. They knew Martin Luther King and those other guys who was just using the blacks for personal gain. And so they would tell her, hey, don't don't get involved with that mess. Be your own man. Be your own woman. You don't need somebody to be over you. And I guess the, the, the blacks who lived in the like Montgomery City area, the younger blacks and other, they got involved with it. But the older blacks were like the older white people. They knew it was a mistake. It was like the KKK trying to get you to join it. It just uh, hmm. except that the black it was black people instead of white people. I do um I do agree that the older generation, both of blacks and whites, were kind of like, hey, you know, this isn't necessarily m- for me. They had their own thoughts on it. But I also know of many, you know, churches that were completely racist, where it wasn't just about we don't want to, you know, enter in because this isn't our place to speak, but because of the the heart attitude, because of the motive of the heart that was, you know, steeped in what I call ethnic partiality. And if that is the case, you know, I think that when as laws changed, it could also lead to the to certain heart attitudes changing so the black and bringing churches, about other conversations. The black churches was racist too because they were just all black for a long time. Were they racist? No, as well? I think that I, I do. I do. I do think that while many black churches, especially in the South, where while those parishioners would not necessarily have gone to a white church or um, been able to be, have been able to go into a, a white church because of a lot of the racism, I do believe that black churches also had, you know, held racism. Racism is an issue of the heart. It's ethnic partiality and slander and hatred. And so I'm not going to look at a white church and say, well, they're racist and look at a black church and say, well, they could never be racist. I honestly believe that racism, because it's an attitude of the heart, can be found in any community, in any congregation. Do you believe that racism exists? I do. And why do you... It depends on the definition of racism that you're using. So if you're using the definition of racism from, you know, previous or prior to this new definition, the old definition being it's an attitude of heart. It's an individual issue where, um, you know, someone may choose to join the KKK or someone may choose to join the Black Panther movement and and have, you know, issues toward whites and hold this um, ethnic partiality in their heart with hatred and all of those things. Yes, I believe that racism exists and I believe that it always will exist because we are sinful humans and racism is a sin. Now, if we're looking at more of this current definition of racism of prejudice plus power, I am not in favor of that definition because that means that people without power can't be can't be racist. I personally, as a Christian, don't believe that there's a sin that someone cannot commit if they are inclined toward that particular sin. So and and the jury's out on this. So you would have many critical race theorists who would say, well, because you're a minority, because you're Black, you have no power. You can only have racial bias. Or you can get someone, someone like Ibram Kendi who says, well, I don't believe that, you know, Blacks don't have power. And so Blacks could be racist. The bottom line is that racism truly is an issue of the heart. We can talk about systemic issues, but right when it comes down to who do, who can I protect? like personal, personally present hatred toward and ethnic partiality toward and slander and all of those things, anyone can be racist, regardless of skin color. As a Christian, you believe racism exists? I do. And does As a Christian, God, I believe that... Does, it, does the scripture say that racism exists? The scriptures do not specifically say, do not be racist. No, does the it say that racism exists? The scriptures say that sin, humans are sinful. And so if humans are sinful, there isn't a sin that would be 
left out. So in, when you ask if the scriptures say that racism exists, the scriptures would talk about racism in regards to things like ethnic partiality. The way that we understand race and talk about race today, the scriptures really don't talk about race in that regard. The scriptures talk about nations or ethnicity and things like that. But to talk about race the way that we do in 2023 America would be anachronistic to what the scriptures are talking about. The scriptures talk about people groups. Um, think of like um, Abraham from like Ur of the Chaldeans. You know, he this, this gives us insight into how close he was to the covenant with God or how far away he was. What was his, what was um, like the region that he came from? It wasn't specifically talking about Black white, um, Hispanic, Asian American. It wasn't, it wasn't, that isn't, that isn't how the scriptures refer to people. If the scriptures did mention, you know, someone who might have dark skin, it would be no different than saying, oh, the tall person over there or, oh, the short person over there. It wasn't um, speaking of race the way that we understand race today. So no, there's no scripture that says, um, this is racist or do not be a racist. Right. But we do see many principles in the scriptures that tell us that we shouldn't hold ethnic partiality. So I, I shouldn't treat someone with favoritism because of the color of their skin or lack of favor because of the color of their skin. So I'm black and slow. So let me ask. So does the scripture say racism is this period? The scripture does not talk about race the way that we do. So in order for the scriptures, in order for me to like affirm or deny that the scriptures say racism exists, I would have to then anachronistically insert race into the books of the Bible. And I can't yeah. do that. Yeah, so what I can't I'm, say. Because huh? of time here and I'm black and slow, does the scripture say racism exists? I can't, I cannot say that the scriptures do not say that. The scriptures do not refer to race. The scriptures it refer to ethnicity. So is that a and yes so, or no? Again, um, Mr. Peterson, to say to say that the scriptures say racism does or does not exist, the scriptures don't refer to race. And so, no, the scriptures wouldn't say racism exists because it doesn't refer to race the way so, that we do. And so as a Christian, why would you use the same language that the children of the lie, the children of the devil use? They use the word racism in order to cover up the hatred of their hearts and to work on behalf of the devil, to worship the devil. Why would Christians use the same language that the children of the devil use, like the word racism? Well, at the Center for Biblical Unity, we usually use the word ethnic partiality um, for your audience because ethnic partiality is not something that is a widely used term. I would use the term racism, but I also define it and, and offer caveat to say it is ethnic partiality mixed with hatred, mixed like ethnic hatred, ethnic slander. It is not to to use, you know, sociological terms. I believe one of the things or, or issues that are present with in the church today is that we have adopted many of the sociological terms um, from culture or from the university and education system, and we have imported those things into the church. But truly, the scriptures do not talk about race the way that we do. So does the scripture say we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and wickedness, and that our battle is a spiritual battle, it's not a physical battle at all, but it's a battle between good and evil. Does it say that? Yes, it does tell us so, that our battle is spiritual. So as a Christian, why don't why don't Christians say that rather than saying what the children of the lie say? Because when you call it racism, you're covering up the devil and most people are never gonna look at themselves to see that they have their hearts are wicked and they need to be born again of the heart. But if Christians call the devil for what he is Instead of using the devil children words, you can help more people that because they are more likely to look at themselves. Well, I honestly so why do think Christians that, use the same word as the children of the devil? Well, I can't speak for every Christian, but I do think that there are many Christians who have adopted the critical social theories. I think that there are many Christians who have adopted, um, you know, a a narrative that comes from academia. One, I but know, two, but when I you think are, that there are. You are, you are a Christian and you're using the word racism. 
instead of a battle between good and evil. Because the blacks used to know this, and they taught us that too. It's either right or wrong. It has nothing to do with color at all. It's egos and it's of the devil. Why don't Christian, you, for example, why don't you say that rather than racism, period? Well, I think because I want to also communicate in a way where people can understand what I'm saying. And so as a believer, part of my my role when we look at Matthew um, 28, 19 is to go out and to evangelize. And so if I'm only using words that are understood by other Christians, I will be missed by those that I'm that I'm really trying to reach. Yes, it is a heart attitude and it is a sin attitude. And I want to go in with the gospel and I do go in with the gospel, but I can't make my speech so um, so lofty that I miss the people who I'm actually going out to minister to or to bring Jesus to. But and so Christ then you use, ask, Christ uh-huh. didn't use the words of the devil and Christ didn't use soft words to try to reach certain people. His, he just spoke the truth, and those who were seeking could hear the truth and overcome. He didn't use words like racism, or he didn't use worldly words. Most people didn't even understand what he was talking about, so he didn't change his language just to try to reach everybody. He only was looking for those few that were seeking him. I don't think that it's about changing my language. I'm not, I am not, it, let, me, let me put it this way. We don't use the King James version of the Bible in many churches today. Why? Because we also understand that there is something to being able to reach people with language. So I have to use the language that I that I have to be able to explain to people and bring people along. What I don't want to do is just cut off any possibility of being able to have a helpful conversation that can bring someone closer to the cross or closer to Jesus. And so to to be clear, when I say racism, I often, I often offer the, the understanding of this is what I mean by racism. It's exactly what I did here in my conversation with you. When you said, why do you use the word racism or do you believe that racism exists? My first word was, well, it depends on what you're referring to, because I never want to mislead someone into thinking that as we have shifts in definition, that this word here, racism is the same thing as this word here. It is always important to be clear. I can not defend the faith once for all given to the saints without having clarity. And so as I completely agree with you, I that we need to, one, have clarity, and two, we do need to be using the language of the scripture and understanding that this, this war that we're fighting is not just a physical war, but I cannot use such lofty speech as the Pharisees did in the New Testament. They, they would go around praying and using lofty speech as Paul talks about, or even as Jesus talks about, that people will not understand. Let me say this because Jesus of time, but Christ, Christ didn't use fancy words. He didn't, he, he didn't try to use certain words to make sure somebody understood it. He just spoke the truth, and he spoke in what they call parables. And he didn't care if they heard it, fine, if they did, fine. Those who were seeking him were able to understand it. And most, he even said, you know what? It's the few that's going to find this and understand my language. Most will not. And so he didn't change his language just to try to pull somebody to the cross. I disagree. When he spoke to the Pharisees, he spoke in parables. When he spoke to the Samaritan woman, he spoke plainly. When he spoke to the people who were who were of what I guess I'll call pagan um, or, or or Gentile, that would be a better word. When he spoke to the Gentiles, it was plain. He said, suffer not the little children come to me. He went and, and made it plain. He made an easy access so that people could understand there is a way made back to the Father. When he spoke to the Pharisees, he spoke in parables and language that they they did not understand because their hearts were not ready to but receive it. But that's not it. true. He spoke to the Pharisees uh, because he understood that they were preaching the Bible and carrying on, but their hearts were wicked. And so on the outside, they presented themselves as children of God, but on the inside, mm-hmm. their hearts were wicked. But let me do mm-hmm. this because of time. Yeah. Um, what is a Christian? Uh, you identify as a Christian apologist. What is a Christian apologist? Apologist, an apologist is simply someone who defends the faith. It comes from the Greek word apologia, oh, and okay. and it's just it's simply a Christian who 
really seeks out to defend the faith once for all given to the saints as mentioned in Jude. And so my goal is to defend the faith against the critical social theories that I see coming into the church. Speaking of the church, was it a big mistake for for the churches to allow women to be preachers and teachers and teach Bible study classes and all that? Was that a big mistake for the men to allow the women to do that? For the Center for Biblical Unity, we are we don't take a a firm position on egalitarian versus complementarian, understanding that people who support our ministry or people who follow our ministry lie on both sides of that spectrum. And so at that point, I don't from a ministry perspective, I will not, you know, give my personal comment because this is definitely a ministry opportunity. Does it um, go and so against God's I think both order? People, both people fall on. I mean, there are arguments for both sides of that. And, and do you believe that it's God's order that women should be in leadership role? I believe that there's there's precedent. Like you can see Junia or um, other Junior? people in the New Testament who who had like a church in their house or, you know, that Paul refers to, you know, greet this one who has a church in her home and things like that. And so I think that 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 could give warrant for that. But like I said, for the Center for Biblical Unity, that is a secondary issue in regards to, or maybe secondary isn't the best word, but that's not an issue that we take a firm stand on as a ministry regarding my personal opinion, because this is a ministry opportunity in which we're talking. I'm not going to give my personal um as a Christian, why don't you, why, if someone asks you, should women be in leadership role and being a Christian, and I'm assuming that you know the order of God, why not answer that for the person that lost and might not understand if a woman should be in a leadership role? Why wouldn't you say yes or no? Like I said, I believe that at the Center for Biblical Unity, we don't well, if they ask you that person, not for the, that. not But if they saw you walking out of the road or they saw you on a TV show yeah. and they go... You're a Christian. Uh, should women be in leadership role? Well, are you? I, I guess a, qual- a qualifying question I would ask then is: Are you talking about an elder role? Are you talking about a role um, as a pastor? Are you talking about someone who leads women's ministry? Are you talking about um, someone who leads children's ministry? I think. M- a better question or a better way to look at it or to frame it would be to consider what are the gifts and talents and offices that the Lord has been able to providentially assign that we can read within the, within the text of scripture. That is a, another way to be able to look at it. Well, let me now, ask it this I way, know, because uh-huh. were women created to lead or to follow? I honestly think that you can give warrant for both. So while a while the scriptures talk about, um, you know, a man leading his home and things like that, does not a woman also lead her children? Does not a woman also can can she lead at work? Can she, you know, offer contradictory info or or another way to think of of a scenario with her husband i think the question itself appears not too black and white but it doesn't give a full spectrum of the the truth of scripture and what is revealed in scripture so do you believe in the order of god 100% and what's that order Again, if you want to talk about order, I think part of what you're talking about is sphere sovereignty. And so if you're looking at what does the family structure look like, I would say that you have a husband and wife and you have children and there is an order by which the husband leads the wife and um, together they serve and lead the children. I think you see this in Genesis. So this is a, a very Genesis conversation that I think is repeated in the New Testament, but so what if is you look order? at what is can, a, can a woman lead at work and, and where in other roles can a woman serve or, you know, be in a position of leadership, that's going to, one, be dictated by the role that she's in. Let me ask. And you, where she's at. The order of God, God in Christ, Christ in man, man over woman and woman over children. Uh, do you believe in that order given to us by God? Yes, I do believe that God has established the family unit 
as established by men and women and children. Yes. Well, even if they're not, if the man is not married, he's still over the woman. He's over all women because of the order of God. In a marriage situation, it's personal, husband and wife. But men are over all women because that is the order of God. Do you agree with that? You know what? I can't say that I do agree with that. I would need to, I probably need to study the scriptures on that a little bit more. I think that 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 just leads to other questions for me. Because when, I, as a when, single woman, um, does that mean any random man is now over me? Yeah. Like I I would I would need to, you know, have specific word of God Bible study in context to be able to affirm that. When Christ walked the earth, was he over the whole earth? Christ is God. Was and he, so but was that, he over that's the a whole, very different was he over the very whole different earth? realm or dominion or um um no, I'm asking you, no I asked the question first. Was he over the whole earth? Mr. Peterson, can you maybe help me understand where this line of questioning is leading? Well, we're just conversating now about the whole thing, the spiritual thing and what's going on in our, in our country, because I've noticed that Christians, they tend to not really tell, you know, they don't put the truth out there so that those who are lost can find their way. And I've noticed mm-hmm. that as a result of men not guiding the women in the right way to go, the women are going out of control. When we all know that, women were not created to lead, that they were created to follow. And when they're not guided in their in the homes by their fathers or in their homes by their husbands if they're married or in the schools by by uh, male principals and, and teachers, that the women go out of control. Have you noticed that? Because they don't have that leadership of the man over them, whether it's a husband or not. Have you noticed that? So when I think that you, I think. But first, have you noticed that? Then, then you can come. Have you noticed that when women take over, everything go to hell in a handbasket? No, I don't. I don't think that that is 100 percent, a 100 percent universal capital T truth. Why not? not. Why not? Because of things like sphere sovereignty, because of the individual, because of human autonomy. And so. What does that mean? Sovereignty and. Autonomy, you know, I don't know what that means. What the? So sphere <laughs> sphere sovereignty would look at what sphere the person is in. So when I choose when I when I use the word sphere sovereignty, I look at things like the family unit or the unit of, of the state or the unit of the church. And I, I kind of see them in spheres and what falls within that bubble. So under sphere sovereignty, um Where you get that the, from? The, How you come up with that? Sphere sovereignty thing. Well, gosh, it's a term that I've heard. I'm in seminary. It's a term, a term I know I heard in class. Um, don't listen also, to the teachers. They're wrong. Let no man teach you. I don't. I don't know that that is always the. No, it's the case always that, true. Let the whole, don't let no human. You're going down the wrong path. But let me ask. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because you've made you've now entered a, a personal note about me personally. So let me address that personally. Okay. All right. To say that I am going down the wrong path is to make a moral assumption about me when you don't know me. But if you, you might have to seen information seminary, about me online, but you don't know me. And so to say that I'm going down the wrong path, you would also need evidence and data for that, Mr. Peterson. I am sitting under the let, leadership of a seminary where the word of God is taught in context. Didn't and Christ so, say let no man teach you? Sir, I will I will offer this, that when Christ said, let no man teach you, if, if no man is to teach me, should I not should I not read the words of Paul? You you read them, not, but not to remember them. Let them go in one ear and out the other, and the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your memory. You have a teacher within, but if you let an out-of-person teach you, you're going to be going down the wrong path. And intellectually, you know about God, but you can never know God through the intellect. You have to overcome the intellect because the intellect is of the devil. It's the ego. I believe that as I sit under the tutelage of people who understand the word of God in context, that I am able to be discipled. 
Discipleship is a concept that we see in scripture. To be a disciple means to be a someone who is being taught. And so I cannot simply disciple myself. Let Even though Spirit I do have you. the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within me, we are also called to discipleship. Discipleship is a very um But women are not disciples. Idea. Right? That that actually isn't true, Mr. Peterson. I, I apologize, but you know, for, for needing to offer that correction. But there were women who also sat at the feet of Jesus. But they were led by men. They were led by Jesus. They weren't over But your Jesus. words were that no they one were, that, oh. that I that there weren't women disciples, and I just have to But they were not them. like disciples. They were just handmaids for Jesus. You know, they were like a big deal. I completely disagree with that. Let me do and, this because of time. No, I understand yeah. I'm running out of time and I have so many time I want to talk to you about. Um, do you believe that until the woman is born again of the father? Oh, let me ask you this first. We're talking about the order of God and Christ, Christ and man, man over woman and woman over children. And I remember before the civil rights movement in the, with the blacks, that order was there for the most part. The father, the mother, and a matter of fact, it was an embarrassment to have children out of wedlock, right? Yes. Because they knew the order. And so as a result, the kids grew up with better manners. They were in control. They were trained to work for themselves and not blame anyone or anything. But then when the man was taken away from the home by the civil rights movement and the government, the women went out of control, and for the last 70 years, they have been only producing kids who are evil and not any that was that are good because the head of the woman was taken away, and the woman needed a man to guide her in the way to raise the children because they are not, <clears throat> they are not a- able to do it on themselves. They needed the man. So well, have you, no- what, have what you noticed would- that as a result of the man being not there any longer. The women went out of control and now generation and generation of children are out of control. What I believe is that with the entrance of things like the welfare state and things like no fault divorce and, you know, things that have made it easier for people not to get married, what we have statistically seen within the black community is a rise of single parent homes of, you know, parent mothers who are raising kids, something like what, 71% of black kids today are being raised in single parent homes. I think that's a problem. I think without the leadership of a father and the partnership of a father, um, there are more issues within the black. So you just proved my point then because of the head of the woman wasn't there, it's easier to bring the government it is easy to change the laws and everything because the woman does not have the protection, the light of the man shining on her so she cannot see the right way to go. So, yes, those things did happen and are still happening. But had the man been there, those things would not have happened. I think that that's partly true. I think that human autonomy also plays a part, though. What's so human I cannot autonomy? say hum, human autonomy means that I have a choice. No. So if if I if I as a human individual, a human person created in God's image, I know right from wrong and I have the choice to be able to say I will not sleep with this person. I will not fornicate. I will not I mean like if I am going to to date someone, I'm going to date with the intention of marriage that I will not um use drugs. I will not choose violence. These are also things that are very important within the black community. Earlier you mentioned that um um, you know, black crime rates and violent crime, blacks, the black violent crime rate is skyrocketing. When we look in, you know, inner cities and places like Chicago and Detroit and Philadelphia and um, places in Birmingham and things like that, we do see violent crime rates. And you know why that high. is, right? I I honestly believe that part because of it. Because the women are running those it, areas. For I the believe most a part of a large part and, of it is the absence of fathers, but I can't pre- I can't put that all I'll rest on the my case. Of fathers. It is also due to the choices that people make. No, just it's been due to the women not being able to see the right way to go because when they were little girls, their mothers turned them away from their fathers and recreated them in her image, which is hell. 
And because the father didn't stand between the mother and the children and keep her from doing that to them. And when you turn children away from their earthly father, you turn them away from God. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. Why not? Why don't I, you agree I with don't. that? Because I am the product of a single mother. Oh, and God. As, as, and, and so I think that I prove you wrong. No, but I let me the, ask. I am the product of a single mother. And if, if I believed your story and your narrative, then I should either be pregnant, strung out, or whatever. The, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that you cannot make universals about these issues. But let me ask, um, if, um, can you love God and resent your earthly father? Yes. How's that? Well, no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Hold on. I, I believe that you can, I would definitely say you can struggle. Part of, part of your, your definition of children was that they, they were these wicked children, which classified an entire, because, but you you classify an entire group of black children as being wicked. Not all, that but most. Not, those who have fathers and close to their father, they're doing fine. But those who didn't and most didn't, they're wicked. That's why they're so violent. But let me ask, can you love God? What do you do with the, you, the can you love God, child who isn't violent? Can you Where love God fall? and resent your earthly father? I think from a biblical standpoint... There's scripture that would say that if you hold hate, like, how can you hate the one that you have seen, but love the one that you have not seen? I probably how need can to think you, a little bit more It says that how that. can you love God and who you never see and resent your father, yes. your earthly father? So can you love God and resent your earthly father? Mr. Peterson, I'm not, I'm not, I, I think I probably, if I'm honest, need to think more about that. Okay. I think that it. I think while it's easy to say that it's a black and white, no, you can't love God. Well, the Bible says you hate your father. I think that the Bible is black and white. By it said, no, you can't. I know, and and I well, again, like I would, I probably need to like think about that a little bit more before I definitively say that you know, this is this is the black and white truth for all people. It is I, for all. I, it says that you can't love God mm-hmm. and hate your earthly father. That's for yeah, all people. I, it didn't say some people. It said But all. Your, your context is that these people are wicked because they don't have fathers. Right. I don't hear you saying that. So what do you do with white people who don't have fathers? Same thing. Okay. Do I need to say whites in order to mention the blacks? Because the blacks... The blacks are leading the way in destruction because for the last 70 years or so, they have not had fathers. They only had the influence of the mother, which is evil, right? And so they've gotten worse. And now that started to happen to but the I white kids because they don't have fathers. I can't say that the influence of a mother is evil. I cannot say good. that the influence of a mother is evil. That's but, your personal opinion. But it's not it, good. Do you agree with me that women don't have love? No, I don't agree with that. Are you saying they do have love? It depends on your definition of love. Do women have love? What is your definition of love? Uh, not hating, no anger. If you don't have anger, you have love. Do women have love? I do believe that your definition actually is skewed because anger, I, I think it's off. Why is your, that? Because to say that you have that if you have anger, you cannot have love. Right. Can you show me a Bible verse that says because that? Because anger is of your father, the devil, and love is of God. God is love and Satan is evil. Well, anger is evil. Well, what do evil. you do with the Bible verse that says, be angry, but do not sin? That doesn't mean the humans fall and say anger. Anger is, a, a, is a, the anger that, and I think that somebody screwed that up by putting that in the Bible because it deceived too many people. And the Bible has been written so many times over and over again. I'm sure that word is misplaced or something happened along the way and people are taking it as emotional anger and they're worshiping the devil, thinking that they're worshiping God because God is love and in him there is no anger. And if we're sons and daughters of God, then in us there is no anger because the spirit of anger is of the devil. That's why when you go and forgive your mother, when you go and forgive your mother for imposing her will on you, turning you away from your father, 
you go and forgive her, then God would take that spirit of anger away from you and give you his nature, which is love. But Do you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. Then what do you do with the Old Testament God where it says that the anger of God burned oh. against them? I'm sorry? The wrath of God burned. It says in the Old Testament that the wrath of God burned against some. Like there were people groups that that the wrath of God, because of their iniquity, it burned against them, that it was his anger that burned against them. So if God is the same yesterday, today and forever, what do you do with the the, the God who has experienced anger? If anger well, when is God did God, that, he had to do it. We have the New Testament now. We're living. Those who are born of the father are living in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I've got to put you on the no. hot seat because time is up. But we're going to have to do this again. Definitely. I would I will end with this that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his moral his moral law does not change. So while I am not saved by the Old Testament, I can look back to the Old Testament to understand parts of God's character and to understand how I can live today. Let me ask, give me a quick yes or no on this because they are telling me. Uh do you believe that the God above is the man's God and the God below is the woman's God? No, I have no I have no idea what God above and God below means. The God in heaven is the man's God and the God in hell is the woman's God. So are you asking if Satan is the God of woman? Yes. No. But that's that, what, that is that is that is that is I would venture to almost say heretical. Like <laughs> there, there's no precedent in the scripture for that. But do you agree that you give me a quick yes or no? I got to put you on the hot seat here. Do you agree that when Eve listened to the serpent and no longer could listen to her husband, Adam, that Satan became her God? Do you believe that while Adam was standing no, next to her, no, answer he me that first, and then you can her, ask allows me. Her to be I'll let like, you ask me that question, but answer I don't that. Understand, when Eve I, listened to the serpent, did he become her God? Mr. Peterson, I do not understand what this has to do with the conversation of race, justice, and unity that I was about to Because it's all, it, it all combined. But let me tell you, I got to put you on the hot seat. I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible, all right? I cannot answer these questions because, one, these are this this has nothing to do but with these the conversation are fun that questions. I was— These are fun questions. As quickly as possible. Fun for who? Fun, well, fun for who? All of us. You're going to have fun. You're going to love them. So I okay, need you to answer these as quickly as possible, right? I will. I, I will not. Con, I will not consign myself to to answering. Well, let's do the a best question you can. that I may not feel comfortable answering. Absolutely. Go ahead. The hot seat. What is love? God is love. Do women love? Do women have love to give? Definitely. Is America the best country on this side of heaven? That is a personal belief, and I think that every cult, every culture, every country has something to be celebrated and something that can be damned. Do we need and more? So, yeah. Do we need more white babies? I think human life is valuable, and so human life. We need more babies overall. We need to stop aborting children across the board, regardless of ethnicity. What's the Trinity? Created by man, or was it created by God? God himself exists in um, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, are the are UFOs real? I haven't studied anything about UFOs. Has anyone ever told Harpo to beat you? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny for real. <laughs> Is I don't it, think Harper would want to beat me. <laughs> is it wrong for a black man to love the uh, Confederate flag? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I think that there was a point in time when I would have said, like, just objective, like, of course, of course, a black person doesn't love the Confederate flag. At this point, I'm not so sure. I think that people have individual choice and they're, they have varying reasons. And so I do know some who will argue for the, the, the case of the Confederate flag who are black, the same way that there were black slave owners. And so 
at that point, I'm not going to assign a moral good or bad to if you love the Confederate flag. Is it ever okay to call a woman fat? No, just no. (laughs) Have you ever told someone how the cow ate the cabbage? No, I've never heard of that. (laughs) Uh, Should black people be allowed to call each other the N-word? No. Last word, was Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ the son of God or God? Jesus Christ is God and the son of God. Jesus Christ exists. Um, He serves as part of the Godhead, which is triune. And so he is in within the triune Godhead. He is the son of God. Did he ever say that he was God or did he say, I'm the son of God? believe he referred to himself as the son of man, which if you read the Old Testament would have um, made him equal with God. And I believe that there, he references himself as God. Did you have fun? This has been very interesting. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell the folks how to get to your website, whatever information you want to put out there. Yes. So you can find us at the Center for Biblical Unity dot com. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Center for Biblical Unity, Instagram, Center for Biblical Unity, or on Twitter at B- Biblical underscore Unity. And we also have a curriculum called Reconciled, and it looks at the believer's um, reconciliation, the fact that as believers, we are reconciled and that there is nothing more a white person needs to do or a black person needs to do in order for us to be in unity together, but that biblical unity is truly the way forward. Thank you so much for coming on. I totally enjoyed that. And remember, folks, that the Father's Day is now on locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. I do appreciate it. And check out our merch. Amazing merch. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning in. Amazing.